Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Hello, I'm Holly Wainwright. I work at Mamma Mia. I've got two kids and we are recording this glorious mess, Big Kids. I'm the we with you. I'm Andrew Daddo with three kids. It's just consistently growing up. Like our dog, our puppy is growing up. Everybody's getting bigger all the time. Yeah. So this glorious mess, Big Kids, is Mamma Mia's podcast for parents who find their kids saying, if you can do that, why can't I? (laughs) All the time. Yeah. Like as they get older... They start saying, That's why, a harder. Can't, why can't I do that? And you go, well, just riding your bike when you've been drinking is not a good idea. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, I would never. But you know what I mean. I um, still have the excuse of that's for grown-ups. Yeah. But your kids are grown-ups. No, they are grown-ups. So you can't really use that yeah. anymore. Anyway, on this show today, we are talking about birth order. Now, mm. this is very interesting. Andrew has a twin brother, but he's one of five. Yes. So your birth order situation is very interesting. I'm the youngest of two, so I'm a bit more straightforward. Ah, you're the youngest of two. Yeah, I've it's, got a big it brother. speaks to me, Holly. <laughs> we fulfill all the stereotypes. He <laughs> was, well, for a long time, and then he went off the rails a bit, but <laughs> he won't mind me saying so. But he was the serious, responsible one, and he's I was the, the DJ, naughty. Right? I was the naughty one. Yeah. Is he still DJ? No, he's a lawyer now. Wow. I know, right? Anyway, that's me and my brother. But we are talking to someone who really does know about birth order and says that understanding it a little bit can make us better parents. Yeah. So that's Michael Gross, and he's coming up later. And, of course, we have our nailed and failed for the week. But first of all, we have a parenting dilemma. Parenting, parenting mentors. mentors. Do we get a cape? Andrew and I like to act as parenting mentors sometimes. I always say we're not experts. I feel that's important to put as a yes. disclaimer. Yes. I think it's funny that you always say we're not experts and then week in, week out. I know. <laughs> we're still here giving out, out, giving out crap advice. advice. No, it's not. It's not. It's, there's some interesting ones coming too, so it's great. It's great so, that you take the effort to ask the questions. Now, you can... Do what this listener has done and send us a voice memo to play on the show. Michaela, producer, take it away. Who's calling us today? Hey, my name's Karina and my daughter is in year three now and the homework assignments have gotten really serious. They give them to them in week, say, three and they're due in week nine. So they've got six weeks to work towards this really big task and they are they seem like massive. And my question is, As a good parent, what am I supposed to be doing? Do I leave her to it and watch her go unprepared? Do I force her to practice when she doesn't want to? Do I sit with her and supervise her? Do I talk for her? Do I make her practice in front of me? Like, As a good parent, without any teaching skills, what's the right thing for me to be doing right now? Thanks. Karina. Karina. I think Karina knows as a good parent what the right thing to do is. But what do you think? Oh, of, no, see, I think in the tone of her voice, she's already saying I all think, the right things. 
Andrew and I might have different opinions. Mm. I don't know. Well, let's find out, Hol. My I'm, first I'm question. My go. first question is, and obviously Karina can't answer this, but I think it's important: is what kind of kid have you got, right? Because is your child a people pleaser? Will it break their heart if they sort of half-ass it and then get in there and the teacher tells them off? Or are they a bit of a rebel rooster who won't care whether the teacher tells them off or not? Because I think that's the key to how much you help them. Because when Karina says, do I leave her to it and watch her go in unprepared? I think, yes, you do. Because if she does go in unprepared and the teacher says, Betty, I thought you could do so much better than this. You've forgotten to do X, Y, Z and she's a bit of a people pleaser. She's going to be devastated and that's an important lesson to learn and the next time she'll try harder. But if she's a bit of a rebel rooster when the teacher goes, Betty, this isn't good enough. Why haven't you done better? She'll just shrug her shoulders and go, I was watching telly. Yeah, so, Why are you teaching me? Yeah. Why aren't you teaching high school kids? So I think <laughs> that ideally you want them to learn the responsibility of doing the work. But I have to say that with my kids, particularly one of my kids, if I leave them to it, it will not get done. What do you say, mm. Mr. Dado? I think it's a great letter and a great question. So thanks, Karina. The reality is it's grade three. This is not world-beating stuff. But given it is grade three, your child probably doesn't know what to do anyway. That's true. Like they literally won't know what to – so your job as the good parent, as you say, is to help them actually get the job done because the teacher doesn't have time to walk them through step by step by step. And I'm assuming that there's an assumption on the teacher's side that they're going, well, the parents are going to help them. It's just the kid that comes in with a bloody electric volcano that works – that's too much. And the kid that walks in with a blank piece with of a paper, cone of paper and a handful of mud and tries to flick the mud <laughs> through the hole in the top of the cone. It's not bad, but, you know, so it's somewhere in the middle. But I definitely think that the parent has a job to do some of that just to help them get the idea started and going. And then, you know, it's grade three. Jeez. Don't. I wouldn't even knock yourself out. Nah. I think it's really hard because when my kids are doing a project and Billy, my son's in grade three, when my kids are doing a project that I'm interested in, I find it very hard not to get overly involved. Like mm. when they're writing a speech or a story, I'll be like, oh, no, that turn of phrase, not right. <laughs> oh, you need a more powerful opening. Oh, you really need to grab them in the first two minutes. Like I find myself doing all that. And Billy's just looking at me like. Oh my God, just do it for me. But then when they're doing maths or science, things I don't understand, yeah. I'm just like, what am I? Like, I'm not here to do your homework for you. Yeah. You do it. So it's, it's tricky. Yeah, but it's also a good chance to talk to your kids as well. So you should never underestimate a chance to actually spend time with them where you're helping them. It's and, true. You know, so like, do it yourself. Well, they'll remember that forever. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was doing my medical exam and dad said, just do it. No. So I think it's a great chance to help if you can do it, but just don't do it all for them. And then the second piece to this, as a busy working parent, that's like a trademark busy working parent, is you don't always have time to do the homework with them, right? Like if I'm going to do the homework with Billy and it's a busy week, we'll be doing it at eight o'clock at night, which is not good for anybody. Mm. So I think you've also got to not be too tough on yourself if you've got lots to do. I know parents who get up at five and do the kids' homework. Yeah, no. It's not happening. It's not helping them anyway. Tell us what you think, messes, this yeah. glorious mess listeners out there. We would love to hear from you. You can tell us what you think about Karina's 
I was going to say problem. It's not really a problem. Dilemma. Or send us a dilemma of your own. Now, what we love the most is if you record a voice memo on your phone and send it to tgm at mamamia.com.au or call our pod phone on 2 So, Andrew, there's this guy. The first person to pioneer birth theory was a guy called Frank Soloway. And he researched the order kids were born in for 26 years. And he found that birth order was the best predictor of either leadership or creativity. And after studying over 6,000 scientists and social reformers, he theorized that your place in the family coincides with your ability to accept or challenge ideas. That's yeah. interesting. So I'm going to guess that of the 6,000 scientists, the majority of those were eldest. That's our stereotype. And, yeah, and of the social reformers, they were youngest or in the younger part of the family. Yes. Yeah. I'm a big believer in that every sibling has a role to play. Has a place to play. Yeah. And so does Michael Gross, who is Aust- one of Australia's leading parenting writers and speakers. And he wrote a book back in 2003 that was very popular called While Firstborns Rule the World and Laterborns Want to Change It. But he has updated it. So he's re-releasing it this year with fully up-to-date, revised information. But he still stands by the fact that birth order does matter and that it can help us with our parenting. So we're going to talk to Michael now. Hey, g'day, Michael. Thanks for your time. Congratulations on the re-listing, the fully revised, updated version. It still looks fantastic. I know it's the same photo. With regards to the re-release, has anything changed in the last 18 years? Yeah, look, quite a bit's changed. Probably the biggest change is that families have shrunk dramatically. Now 60% of Australian families have two kids or less. So we're seeing far more what I call micro-families. And a micro-family is a family of two or less. We're getting less and less uh, middle kids, so there aren't as many children surrounded by another child in families as there used to be. They're probably the two biggest changes, but they certainly have a significant impact, I think. So what we should do is just to have a catch up on what the world's going to be like without middle children. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I mean, I know Andrew is a middle child and I was going to say um, that we're breeding you out, uh, which seems, you know. So I feel like a tiger. Possible progress. I don't know. Can you just quickly summarise for, I mean, I know you can't quickly summarise a book, Michael, but like birth order theory, some people would, I imagine, dismiss it as a bit woo-woo, as we call it around Mamma Mia parts when we're saying that something's a bit out there, a bit woo-woo. But there's a lot of actual evidence for it. Am I right? Look, there is. And I think we've got to be careful that we don't attribute more than what we should to birth order. So birth order works really well when you're looking at families. It doesn't work so well when you start to look outside and extrapolate and go, well, He's a middle-born, therefore he will be in radio, on podcasts. It doesn't quite work that way. And that's where I think birth order theory has, I guess, been, yeah, it's got the sceptics and there's no doubt about that. And it's tried to answer too many things. So it makes sense within the smaller context of family. And of course, there are patterns. We know that, you know, what you sort of set out with in life, you know, is a predictor of what you're going to become. And so that's where the sort of the patterns emerge. But yeah, look, it sort of works on basically two things. It's the simple fact that it's how groups work. So whenever you get a group of people together, 
you're all always going to take up roles. And of course, the first group you belong to is a family and you take up roles within the family. So they're the positions. And the second part, which I think a lot of people underestimate, is the simple fact that the parenting changes. We're very strict and, you know, on our firstborn, we know every time they've sneezed. By the time you get to the fifth, well, you're lucky if you know they're even there. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, look, it's funny that you say five because I'm one of five and I know that you know that. But I don't even think it's a matter of they don't care. I just think they've run out of steam. And that's it. That's exactly it. They run out of steam, run out of energy. Their minds are taken up by other kids and other things. And there's also another aspect. When I first researched parenting back in the 1980s, I looked at family size and how family size impacted on parenting. And I found out that when you get two or less kids, they're parented quite differently than when you get a large family. And a large family is four or more. And don't ask me if you've got three, there's sort of one and it's in the middle. Once you get a four kids or more, then you parent the group. It's not just I'm parenting my firstborn or the second, we parent the group. Everything changes then, you know, discipline changes. We'll all go home because one child's missing out. When it's a small family, we try and work out who it's your fault. I'll get you. And the same as the families, we share things around in bigger families, in smaller families, we tend to pay kids for jobs. You know, responsibilities are shared. And then there's also a thing called delegation. So parents in larger families do a lot of delegating to younger kids or to kids. So they become quasi-parents. You know, you'll find the eldest child will be changing the nappies of number four. Number two child will be hearing number five read because mum hasn't got enough time to do that. She's cooking or dad's cooking or whatever it might be. So the, the whole parenting game changes as we get smaller and smaller. Yes, that's so interesting. So as you're saying, it's not so much about personality. And I know that you, your book, you're saying this can help you as a parent, parent your kids if you understand birth order a little better. Yeah, look, it gives you a lens. And I guess when we relate to other people, whether it's in our families, in our workplace, we sort of do a lot through a lens. We look at the lens of gender and we sort of have some stereotypes there and age, but we don't really know too much about the birth order of other people. So when you sort of click on the birth order, you go, oh, that's why he likes to spend a lot of time on his own. Not really good at sharing that only child. And so it starts to make sense a little bit. And the other aspect is, and I prefer to call it now, it's a family constellation rather than birth order. So just like we get a constellation of stars, and I know it sounds a bit woo-woo, but when you get a constellation of stars, it forms its own pattern. So when you understand birth order and look at the constellation of how everyone sort of fits in a family, it forms its own pattern. And generally the first one is the family conservative. So the first one comes into the family and everything goes their way. You know, it's a huge event. And what mum and dad aren't really aware of when they come home is what they brought home was an experiment and that firstborn takes them into new ground and breaks the ground for them right through toddlerhood and primary school into adolescence and it's a good position to be in if you're firstborn but the only trouble is there's a lot of pressure to perform so and then all of a sudden the second one comes into the family and what mum and dad brings home is a rival for attention and affection and so that's where the personality differences come in because the second will usually be what the first isn't. So if responsibility is taken up by the first one, there's a fair chance the second one will be, oh, I'm not going to be so responsible as him or her. Oh, might be the pest, at least I know I'm around. So it's about kids taking up their niche and it's about divergence. Sorry, just to finish that off, family of three and there's a younger. So we've got an experiment comes first, the rival comes second. What's the third? 
The third one is look out for me, I'm here. The youngest ones, and I'm a youngest, and I'm going to preface that by saying there was a large gap between myself and my siblings above me. So I was the Catholic mistake. Hang on, did you call yourself that or did your parents call you that? On, on one <laughs> dark night, you Catholic mistake! <laughs> I'm the Catholic mistake of the 1950s. So um, my older brother or brother above me was six or seven years older. So there's a large gap. So when you start to think about that, I had parents who weren't tired by the time I came along and they had two married girls who were having kids. So they were oh, helping wow. them out. And then um, it was like, Michael, just look after yourself, stay out of trouble and life will be good as long as you don't get into trouble and you'll yeah. be home for dinner at six o'clock. And a lot of youngest kids will experience that same sort of freedom. That gap also meant I was a bit of an only child as well. So I spent a lot so of time on my own. what about the gap? Does it change the rules? Yeah, it does. It does. It, it does, yeah. When you get about a six or seven year gap, the family almost starts again. And why that happens is birth order works because of competition. If you've got two kids close together in age, say two years apart, they tend to compete for attention. That's why the oldest born will often spend a fair bit of their time showing mum, look mum, she's done it again and raising his eyes while he does it, as if to say she'll never be as good as me and don't you ever forget it. And so when there's a gap of six years or seven years, there's no competition. So the family starts again, so to speak. I have a bit of a cheeky question for you based on what's going on in the world right now. So your book is called Why Firstborns Rule the World and Laterborns Want to Change It. Are we seeing this being played out in the headlines right now with two certain princes from Great Britain? <laughs> because you couldn't oh. – I know it's on steroids, that situation, and it couldn't be more exaggerated. But – Everybody always says that in some ways Prince Harry is the typical youngest because he doesn't have all the responsibility and weight and he gets to be cheeky, challenging. Exactly. You've got chapter a chapter nine. about it, chapter <laughs> nine about it. He gets to be cheeky and challenging and we are really seeing that now. Do you think that's true? You have a chapter about it. <laughs> I've got a chapter about it. You think I just want Harry just to mess up more and get more publicity. <laughs> On a serious note, William and Harry are, I guess, posted kids for this new well, Harry is for a new position, which is largely as our family shrink and ha stopping more and more at two kids, then the youngest one is a little bit like the second. So what do I mean by that? Well, he's not going to be like the first. You look up and go, well, I'm not going to be like you. And he's also going to have a little bit more freedom because a lot of parents think I'm stopping at one. They'll treat them a little bit like an only child. So they tend to be a little bit more like only kids. So it's almost a new position in some ways. It's like a middle slash youngest and I've always thought of the second child as like a second child slash middle. They're often quite similar. So we start to see, particularly in families which have both kids of the same gender, they'll have an eldest one, the firstborn, and the second one might be like the youngest one. So that's where if we look at William and Harry for a second, William is the heir. You know, he is the heir and poor old Harry is the spare. And so, you know, William is the family conservative. He's playing that role beautifully. But there's not a, a real role for Harry. There's... Now, he was second in line. Now he's sixth in line. Every time William has a child, he moves back a, 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 he slides a shot. Down he slides the pecking down. Order, yep, he so does. he's got a lot of freedom. He's got to find his own path, just like a lot of those seconds do. 
And often they have to prove themselves. Firstborns often don't have to prove themselves. And often he has to prove himself, which he's doing. So most of his life, he's done things, his adult life, he's done things quite differently. He he hasn't married the traditional you know, royal. He's married you know, someone from another country. He's now chosen, as we all know, high profile to leave and almost leave the royal family. So it fits the pattern, if I can say that. Yeah, so, it does. So, Michael, getting to your first point that everyone has a role in a family, if something were to happen to William, for instance, and this is just for them as an example, would Harry then assume that role by a spiritual default of becoming more responsible and more that grown-up heir? Yeah, good question. That's a really good question. What we know, I'll step back a bit from the royal family and just talk about what happens in an air quotes, a normal family. What well, often happen that normal family is when the firstborn has special needs or a first one has an accident or something happens, passes away, the second one will often step up to fill that role, to fill that void. Often it's a difficult position because you're living two lives in some way. You live the life of the one that you're filling in for plus your own. It's not an easy position. So that would what happens in a normal family. And I suspect perhaps, you know, if it happened you know, tomorrow, then he may do that. That's a possibility. Yeah. Very interesting. It is. What's the one thing that parents can take away from this, Michael, in terms of when they're looking at their kids and they're considering how they're reacting to two or three of them? What do parents need to do? Do we need to check ourselves in how we react to our kids or do we just need to have this in the back of our mind? <laughs> yeah, look, I think we always need to check ourselves how we react to our kids and I don't mean that in a frivolous way. I think sometimes we just react in an emotional way. That's why, you know, it's always easy to raise someone else's kids because we're not related to them. Yeah. You know, it's always hard to raise your own kids because you're related to them. My one thing is just to don't lose your instinct. I always get worried when I give a presentation that oh, I've just spent an hour telling you how to do it. Now, don't forget to use your instincts. And that's really important. But I just use it as a lens. Sometimes it makes, ah, oh, that's why they keep fighting all the time. Yeah. And just to sit back and use it as a lens to look at, Looking at one-off tips, my one-off tip always for firstborns is don't put too much pressure on them because they put enough on themselves. Mm. They live with pressure. And I do think that you need to embed good mental health habits in your family per se, but also particularly that firstborn because we're finding out they tend to be more anxiety prone. If the youngest one, if you've got a youngest one, good idea to put a bit of pressure on them because they'll often get away with a lot. Mm. And I think the biggest complaint about the one in the middle is the fact that I never get to have some one-on-one time with my mum or dad. It's always the gang. So don't be afraid to carve out a little bit of one-on-one time with that second-born because, or the middle one because they do love to have some time with you and we've got to do that more intentionally than the, we would with other kids. I've got an inherent fear that birth order theory is going to come back and bite us on the bum as a convenient excuse for why I wasn't treated better as a child. <laughs> <laughs> Or you could always send a copy to your siblings. I've had another interview <laughs> where so I'm going to send. This is why she's like that. I'm going to send a copy to the siblings. Yes, so. I, know. I know just the one I'll send it to. <laughs> <laughs> the book "Why Firstborns Rule the World and Laterborns Want to Change It" is available in all good bookshops from the first of June, the updated edition. And of course, we'll put a link in the show notes to where you can buy it directly. Thank you, Michael. Good on you, Michael. Thanks very much. Nailed it. You failed it. It's my favourite part of the show, Nailed or Failed. Andrew Daddo, what did you get right or wrong in your family life this week? Well, it gets back to that, maybe what Michael was talking about, and our middle child who 
spent time as a ballet dancer. Oh, did she? Yeah, she was good. And anyway, anyway they we're having dinner. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, a snigger. Start. When Andrew starts sniggering, start, it's start. always a worry. And they started talking about her claw, the claw, right? Because when she was dancing when, with her hands. Because <laughs> she, she goes, I was a terrible dancer. I had the claw, you know, like I said, listen, you were selected to be as a like a remote learner for the Australian ballet. You couldn't have been bad if you were I mean she was, you know. So that's held in Melbourne and so she's in Sydney. So they go there for Two weeks a year and do the claw. <laughs> to the claw. <laughs> to the claw. And she goes, Yeah, maybe the first year. And then after that, they were only after us for the money. Oh. And I just went, Wow, that's a really terrible, cynical attitude to take. Possibly true. Possibly true. Probably <laughs> tr- true. Right? How about oh. that? So I thought. Does she still have the grace of a ballerina? Oh, she's lovely. This oh. is Bibi. The, yeah, yep. the, I mean, you know, they're all lovely. Um, <laughs> This is Bibi, well, no, the lovely one. <laughs> Felix does not have the grace of a ballet dancer. Jeez. I hadn't even thought that way. Oh, I just smarter than you. I just knew that she'd grown out of it and that was it. And that part of the life done. Tick. Wow, fantastic. Great for confidence. Move on. Mm. But no, they were in it for the money. All right. You have to tell me if this is a nail or a fail. So... We've discussed before that Matilda, my oldest, is getting a bit of independence lately. So a couple of days a week when Brent and I are working out of home, she comes home and she's in the house on her own for like an hour before one of us walks in the door. She is allowed to have a friend come with her if they do homework, right? Yeah. Now, last week, (laughs) the friend who came with her for an hour was a boy who is... Her boyfriend? Well, I don't want to use the word boyfriend and Matilda would die if she had me use the word boyfriend. But he's kind of like, she's always had lots of male friends, but he's a bit more than a male friend, right? Like he likes Special her. Friend. She talks a bit about that and they, like, they're like they hanging out quite a bit these days. But I don't think anything's like, well, she. I talked about it. Anyway. Anyway, Brent came home, was not impressed. Where were they? They were nothing. They were just doing homework in the living room. But Brent came home and he said... When we said you could have a friend here, I didn't mean him. I didn't mean a boy. Wow. He didn't say this in front of the Yeah, boy. good. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that He thing. said this later. And Matilda got really upset. And she said, Dad, you make me feel really uncomfortable. That's not <laughs> what's going on here. And now you're making me feel like this is what's going on here. Did you actually say you make me feel uncomfortable? She did say you oh make me God. feel really uncomfortable. We're, just, we're destroying our own lives by giving our kids these <laughs> phrases to use against us. She and says, I mean that. I feel really uncomfortable. You've made me feel really uncomfortable because that's not what this is. And he's my friend. And why can't my friend just come? And so I got home. Brent's like, I think I've stuffed up. I was like, yes, you have. She's allowed to have him in the house. They're friends. You can't make a rule for females and a rule for men and boys. And he said, yes, I can. Everyone has an opinion. Andrew, was it a nail or a fail on my part that I told Brent that he was overreacting? (laughs) Was he overreacting? Is it different? Uh, Yes. Isn't it? Even at this age? Am I being naive? Yes. (laughs) Yes. 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 Yes, you are. So the rule should be you can bring a friend home and do homework, but it has to be a girl. I don't know. I mean, look, I've got two daughters and the rules have been quite strict. We've been quite strict with them. But Until they a loosen age. up pretty quickly. Wow. Oh. <laughs> no, no, I'm not helpful. Well, I just think back to, when I was in year seven, I was accused of being frigid, right? Straight <laughs> out. I can't remember a name. God, I wish I could remember a name. Oh, my God. She's you're frigid. 
And I was like, oh so God. there'd be no problem with me, but if she had <laughs> some of the other boys around for, you know, okay. for afternoon schoolwork, my money would be on not much schoolwork. Okay. okay. And you'd be thinking about your phrases very carefully. There's a whole new world of pain opening up ahead That's of me, isn't great. there? Right. But how exciting is it? That's the other thing to always remember it how is. fun it was for us, how fun it must be for them. Okay. You tell me Mom if it's a nail might be or a fail. For a whole hour. <laughs> Stop it! Don't say that. That's not what. Yeah, but they could be doing anything. I like know. they could be playing spin the bottle. They well, could they, be doing. They go and play basketball at the back. Yeah, they, yeah, exactly. Like great. I think. No, great. Oh God. Okay, that is all we have time for. Even Michaela's covering her face on this glorious mess this Jesus. week. That's the fail of Tell the week. Her. Tell us what you think. We always want to hear from you. You can email us anytime at tgm at mamamia.com.au. And if you love this glorious mess, we have a new podcast you might also love. It's called The Delivery Room. It's hosted by my friend and Mamma Mia Out Loud co-host, Jessie Stevens. Now, she's never given birth, but one day she would love to, but she is terrified. So over eight weeks, she interviews eight women about eight very different births to get over her fear. It's brilliant. Take a little listen to this. It's an ordinary Thursday night and Lee Campbell is sitting in her Randwick apartment blow-drying her hair. So that morning, it was winter, so I just gradual tanned. I just wanted a bit of a glow. Yes. Had a few little falsies on the ends and I blow-dried and curled my hair so that it looked quite nice. You might assume that Lee was off to a fancy dinner with her husband, Rich, or that she was going to a work event where she needed to look very glamorous. But... It's quite the opposite. You see, Lee was off to be induced for labour. And her husband, Rich? Well, he wasn't surprised. Look, that's just another night in our household, so no, I wasn't surprised at all. When it comes to life, Lee is very prepared. She has lists and schedules and even a multi-step skincare routine. So it's no surprise that she was styling her hair right before she headed into the delivery room. But all that preparation wasn't really going to prepare Lee and Rich for what happened next. This Glorious Best Big Kids is brought to you by Mamma Mia. This episode is produced by I just can't believe that it's going to be eight different birth stories she's going to listen to in the <laughs> delivery room and then she's going to think about having children. She's not having children. Beautifully produced by Michaela Floriano. Have a great weekend, a great week. We'll see you at the same place, same time next Friday. Bye. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.